Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WPHD, WPHD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. The revolution will be broadcast. This is the next generation of talk. Now, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, Rich Zioli. You know, the question is, what will Anthony Fauci say when he's grilled by the House Republican majority for the first time? Here to talk about it with us, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor, and best-selling author of Panic Attack, playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. Hey, Doc, thanks so much for making time today. I appreciate it. Always good to be on with you, Rich. Happy Friday. Happy Friday, fellow uh, Jerseyite. So we got that, which is good. Uh, Fauci is going to be grilled by the House Republican majority for the first time. I would love to know what Dr. Nicole Sapphire would like them to ask Fauci. I'd love for you to offer some suggestions to the Republicans on that committee of what they should bring up with Fauci. Well, you know what? I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of hype for these early January hearings. And while I think it is crucial that Anthony Fauci um, answers for a lot of what happened, I think it's going to be a little more of the same as what we have seen in the past. I mean, he continues to say, hey, I don't make mandates. Hey, I don't do these. I don't make policy. But the, the fact of the matter was he certainly was the public face of the COVID pandemic. I mean, people were making bobbleheads after him. He was invited to throw out pitches. He was, you know, invited to everything. So he does have some responsibility. But what I would really like the House Oversight to focus on are the potential ties to EcoHealth, the Wuhan Institute of Virology lab. Was there some deceit? Was there some malfeasance where they were keeping information from the public of U.S. tax dollars funding this gain-of-function research? Was there a cover-up by Dr. Fauci because he didn't actually want it getting out that, you know, he was partaking in it? And I'd also like to see um, a more um, in-depth analysis of ties to the industry, specifically pharma and some of the other uh, you know, some of the the vaccines and the pharmaceuticals that came out during the pandemic, some were pushed more than others. And I would like to really understand if there's any evidence as to, you know, financial gain from Dr. Fauci or anybody and why some of that was pushed more than others. Yeah, excellent point. And what exactly he knew regarding the the safety of the WIV, the Warren Institute of Virology, Because, you know, that Vanity Fair story that came out said, hey, listen, there were warnings. You know, the Deputy Energy Secretary, Dan Briette, 
warning Fauci's National Institute for Allergies and Infectious Diseases, hey, they are they are playing around with coronaviruses here and the Chinese military may be involved. And it's so follow the money and follow the warnings. I mean, why why were the warnings not heeded by Fauci and his team? Well, and on top of that, I think it's really interesting. You know, Vanity Fair has finally come out and is acknowledging a lot of these ties. But I can tell you that in May 2020, Vanity Fair mentioned me in one of their articles, essentially causing, calling me a conspiracy theorist, as I said that there are far too many coincidences surrounding the close proximity of the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the wet market, and all of the you know mystery illnesses that were coming out of that area um, late 2019. But so it was easy for them to deem me a charlatan. Um, and that's kind of what happened. Anybody who went um, against, you know, the the talking points that was coming out of Dr. Fauci was essentially, you know, cast aside as someone who, you know, ascribes to conspiracy theories. When at the end, at the end of the day, all we were doing was an- trying to ask some some questions. And I think it is prudent that those questions get answered. But unfortunately, I'll tell you, I believe that any and just about all evidence that could have linked the Wuhan Institute of Virology to the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic has probably been destroyed at this point. No, it's just unbelievable. And then, you know, the Texas Attorney General, Ken Paxton, now is suing Pfizer over what he says are misleading claims regarding the COVID vaccine and also for the fact that they were trying to censor people who were talking about it. I I remember you being on with me back in, I think it was uh, maybe April of last year when when the whole studies were coming out about kids and and COVID shots. And it was two years ago. Time kind of flies by lately. But uh, and and you were saying, you know, look look at the data from other countries in Europe. Look at what they're they're turning out and saying. Look at the data from Israel, and and yet that 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 information was not allowed to be put on social media platforms because it would make people really think twice about giving their kids a COVID vaccine, and and healthy young people should think twice about getting it. And you were saying all those things, and yet that that data, which was actual scientific data, was censored by big tech. Well, but it wasn't just big tech, right? You actually, we saw that there were emails and communicate between the White House, the Department of Defense, and big tech. So they were all in cahoots together. And unfortunately, you know, that's also a good question. You know, Dr. Fauci, again, being the director of the NIAID, excuse me, essentially, why were we so behind when it came to the data? Yes, it's true that just with, you know, every cycle each year, we look to different parts of the country to see what the flu season is going to be like. But that's because of, you know, the different respiratory seasons. We were very similar in our infection times to these other countries, yet we were six to 12 weeks behind reporting on data, including variants and treatment responses. Why did we have such an uncoordinated, uh, you know, data collection system? And I think part of it is because they were really banking on the vaccine to be the end-all be-all. And when it became readily apparent that, you know, natural immunity, vaccine-induced immunity, maybe it gave you some protection against future infections, it certainly wasn't preventing disease anymore. And so they they didn't know how to handle that because that's what they were waiting for. We'll keep locking down. We'll keep masking. We'll keep doing all these things until we hit these vaccine benchmarks. But when it realized those benchmarks don't matter. They had to scramble to change all of their policy and they didn't have a contingency plan and they were not following the science. And at what point do we need to hold accountable these institutions, the CDC, the WHO and others who truly ignored science to fit with their talking points? 
Yeah, and here's the other thing, too. As as all of this happens and more and more information is coming out, uh, you know, we're hearing about what's spread in China now. This is pneumonia, which is gripping the country. And the other question I wanted to ask you is, Dr. Nicole Sapphire, and it's great to have you with us, of course, uh, board-certified medical doctor, senior Fox News medical contributor and best-selling author of Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. Um, what is white lung syndrome? And why does it seem like these things always always kind of start in China? I don't know if this is the same disease that they're talking about now in China where they're locking people down again and making people wear masks or not. But if it is, I guess I guess the, the question, if it did first emerge in China, is why, why does it seem like this keeps happening over there? Could this be another lab-made creation? Or is this, again, somebody ordering something undercooked at a wet market? So what I believe is going on right now is that everyone has PTSD from the COVID pandemic and media headlines and hype are really um, getting people uneasy. China is reporting that in northern China, there has been, you know, a clustered or an increase of pediatric or cases and kids of pneumonia. Kids are being hospitalized with pneumonia. And the World Health Organization has said to China, we want to know exactly what is causing these pneumonia cases. Well, China is saying, listen, it's just the normal stuff. It's flu. It's it's other viruses, RSV. It's bacteria. It's like mycoplasma. And these are all kind of normal respiratory pathogens. But unfortunately, the world doesn't trust China anymore. And by the way, they lost they lost any right to that trust. So China does need to put forth the laboratory studies confirming that, yes, there's no novel pathogen here, that this is just all the normal virus and bacteria that we're kind of used to. And there's something, something called an immunity depth or immunity gap. We were dealing with it a bit here in the United States last year. Remember, we were talking about all of the strep throat and flu and all the kids? Well, because for the preceding couple of years, kids were kept out of school. They didn't have the same socialization. So they were not being exposed to all the same pathogens. So all of a sudden, their immune systems were down. So last year in the United States, we were a bit overwhelmed with all of the illness again. But again, all of the normal illness. China stayed locked down longer than we did. So now this is their year of an immunity gap. On top of that, we're also seeing a rise in specifically mycoplasma pneumonia cases. Mycoplasma is a well-known bacteria. It causes pneumonia. We call it an atypical pneumonia, um, especially in kids. Um, And that kind of cycles every four to five years. And the last time we saw a big mycoplasma spike was 2019. Before that, 2015. Before that, 2011. It's literally on track, as though we had plotted out a line graph. We could have expected to see mycoplasma cases up right now. So I think that we need to calm down, you know, take, take a breath from the media headlines. It doesn't seem to be anything novel. It seems to be all our normal stuff. Our pediatric hospitals in the United States are not overwhelmed, but even if they are, that happens just about every year because the United States is terrible when it comes to pediatric health care. We've closed many of our hospital beds. That's a whole other discussion. Yeah, we, we, my three-year-old right now is, is in, in school, preschool, and she's sick all the time, double ear infections, I mean, constantly coughing, runny noses. And I, well, the good news is that I've noticed that people are still sending their kids, you know, if they don't have a fever, they're still going because um, you're right, they got to build up immune systems. It, it has to happen that way. Uh, it's the only way these kids are going to have immune systems. And, and, and speaking of the damage that was done by lockdowns, there, there's another study that came out. I'm sure you've probably seen this, Dr. Sapphire, where they said that because of the COVID lockdowns, older people, this was a UK study, 
Older people struck by COVID rules have worse mental health, uh, more instances of dementia, Alzheimer's, um, depression. I can imagine that. I mean, imagine, you know, your, your spouse of 50 years, you can't say goodbye to them. You're not allowed to even visit them in the hospital. You can't be around your friends. For a lot of these people, they're retired and their only outlet is going out to places and they couldn't do that. I, I can only imagine how mental health would be crippling for people, particularly in this age category. Well, absolutely. And by the way, I think it's funny that we have to have studies telling us this, right? Like who funded this study? I can definitely give you some more places where the money would have been better spent. But absolutely, what happened during COVID lockdowns, especially our elderly, they were they were paralyzed in fear. They were told if they were around people, it would kill them. Family members were told if you go around your elderly family member, you're going to kill them. So all of a sudden they isolated themselves. And we absolutely know that isolation increases the risk of depression. It rapidly exacerbates dementia, aging, and cognitive decline. One, If you look at the blue zone areas across the, the world, blue zone areas are where people live the longest. One of the fundamental things, yes, it's good diet. Yes, it's good exercise. But the, one of the fundamental things is socialization and maintaining being being a part of a social network. And that was stripped from people during the COVID pandemic. We knew better. We knew there had to have been better ways to handle it, but we ignored the science. And these are the repercussions from it. We have a rise in mental illness, not just in our elderly and our children and our adults. Unemployment is still high. People are struggling. And while maybe the lockdowns only lasted a year or two, the damages are going to last significantly longer and take much more work to come back from. Uh, and that, that's the that's the part about it that is so incredibly heartbreaking. All right, last question for you. Massachusetts now says they are the second state with this child pneumonia outbreak. Uh, any any thoughts for parents? Any guidance right now for them, Doctor Sapphire, that you'd give if they're nervous about this? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, my two little guys, ten and nine years old, over Thanksgiving break, essentially had the mycoplasma pneumonia. I mean, it is what it is, and here we are reporting on it. And so while common things being common, if your kiddo comes home with an upper respiratory infection, you know, a cough, a runny nose, it's probably going to be nothing. If that cough starts getting more severe, if they're spiking fevers, they're not drinking as much water, you know, and you just are a little worried about your kiddo, you absolutely should take them to the doctor. Because while viral infections don't necessarily need any medications, it could be a bacterial infection, which will respond quickly to medications. And so you don't want to just assume it's a virus. You always want to double check. And so the right thing to do is to go to your doctor. Also, sometimes they can prescribe breathing treatments and even steroids just to help those little guys' lungs because they're not as strong as ours. They can collapse a little bit easier. But, you know, what I always say is make sure they're eating healthily, get them some exercise, make sure they're sleeping well. You can throw in a humidifier in the bedroom, but make sure you're living your life. Yeah, well said. Well said, my friend. Dr. Nicole Sapphire, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The Seoli Show. On your schedule, from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT in the free Odyssey app. What is next week going to bring? That is the question. What is next week going to bring when it comes to Hunter Biden? Here to talk about it with us. Andrew McCarthy, senior Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and author of Ball of Collusion, the plot to rig an election and destroy a presidency. Andrew McCarthy, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing great, Rich. How are you? Good. Anytime I get to fill in for Jimmy, I'm a happy guy. So this is a great... And then when you get to come on the show with me, I know it's going to be magic, baby. Oh, I, I just... I, I can I can feel it. It's kind of electric, don't you think? <laughs> it goes right through the airwaves. All right, let's talk about, first of all, why the chairman of the committee, Jim Comer, is uh, saying that there needs to be a private deposition of Hunter Biden. And what's the difference, really, between a private deposition and a public hearing, and why is it that Hunter is insisting on all of this being in public? Well, a lot of it is is theater. There's big differences between a private deposition and, you know, anybody who's watched these crazy kill hearings where, you know, you get 45 members of this committee ask five-minute rounds of questions, so it goes on for, uh, you know, six or seven or more hours, but nobody can ever, uh, you know, develop a line of inquiry or a line of cross-examination. Most of it is speech-making rather than testimony. Whereas uh, in an investigation, what you want to do is have have something that's akin to like a grand jury, um, where you can actually come in and, um, you know, somebody who's confident in questioning witnesses uh, can develop lines of inquiry over like an hour of um, of rounds rather than five minutes. And it's like the grand jury in the sense that you not only get a narrative out of the witness and the questioning is coherent, but you also can ask about documents and that kind of stuff where you, you then discover other lines of investigation and other things you need to cover. So any investigator is going to want something like that. And it's important to note, Rich, that this is typical. This is what happens. It's not like Comer made this up for this investigation. Uh, In the Trump impeachment inquiry, they subpoenaed people and forced them to come in for these kinds of depositions. 
Uh, in the January 6th committee, they did the same thing. There were a lot of witnesses who took the position then that they wanted to testify in public and didn't want to sit for these inquiries or, or these depositions because they didn't trust the committees. The, the difference is when Trump witnesses made those claims in connection with those investigations, the media liked those investigations, so they gave short trip to the you know people saying they wanted to testify in public. But here, the media hates Comer's investigation and is sympathetic to Hunter. So they're playing up his claim that he only wants to testify in public because he doesn't trust the committee. But, you know, this is this is a game that gets played all the time. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. And I think Hunter Biden wants to do a show here and wants a spectacle for the cameras. But I, mm. but, you know, the, the transcript and the and, and then to ultimately hold a public hearing down the road sounds like a, a, a pretty good thing. What is in terms of how this plays out? I mean, is, is this a situation where ultimately Comer gets his way or Hunter Biden can say, no, it's either public or nothing? I mean, w- what sort of legal authority do they have here in this matter? Well, so the, the thing is that no one's going to end up happy. Um, Comer is in the right uh, in the sense that a, a subpoena is not an indi- is not a you know, it's not a suggestion. It's not like. An RSVP where, you know, you say, we, we sure hope you can come. Um, it's an order. You have to show up. So he's got to show up. On the other hand, he's under indictment and presumably, or although I think this is way overstated given the way this has been handled, uh, he's presumably under additional investigation and facing potentially other charges. What that means, Rich, is that he has a live Fifth Amendment privilege and he doesn't really have to testify. He can refuse to testify. And I actually think this whole escapade where he's, you know, pounding on the table and saying, I don't want to come to a deposition, but I'll testify in public. The only reason he's doing that is he knows the committee is not going to give in to him on that and that it doesn't have to give in to him on that. He doesn't want to say publicly, I can't testify because you know, it could hurt me uh, in the criminal prosecutions. So he'd rather spin this that um, this is an insidious committee that won't let him testify in public. And that's why he's being resistant when in point of fact, he's not going to testify because his defense lawyer would be crazy to let him testify when he's facing charges. Andy McCarthy is with me right now on Fox Across America. Uh, No question about it. And I wanted to ask you, kind of switching gears for a second, the the question about Donald Trump and the latest gag order, I guess, a, a, I guess a higher court upheld the gag order against him and the judge. I, I'm sure you were probably as shocked as I was to see the ACLU come out and at least criticize the federal gag order against the former president. I mean, he's, he's in a d- unique spot here because he's he's normally you get the advice of saying, don't say anything, just keep your mouth shut and don't incriminate yourself. Yeah. But he's running for president. So he's got to explain his case. And and these are public figures. Uh, so, I mean, do you think this gag order is actually constitutional? No, I, I, you know, I think that, um, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a straightforward situation. There, there's complexity to it. I mean, ordinarily trial courts are allowed to regulate to some extent, uh, the behavior, including the public commentary of participants in the proceeding. Uh, and that's especially true of lawyers. Trump, it should be pointed out that, you know, lawyers 
get um, get gagged all the time because you give up, you forfeit your, um, you know, the, the full run of your First Amendment protection in order to be a member of the bar. You know, you agree to be a member of the, uh, the court's bar and to follow the, the, the regulations attendant to the legal profession. But Trump is a volunteer. And as you point out, he's not just a I'm sorry, he's not a volunteer. He's be, he's been dragged into these proceedings uh, against his will. So he's not like a lawyer who agreed to abide by uh, gag conditions. And he's a highly unusual uh, litigant in that uh, he's also running for president and he's running running against people, Republicans and Democrats, who are completely uninhibited in what they're allowed to say about his travails in these cases. So he's obviously, it's a public issue. He's got to be able to uh, address it. And to the extent that these judges think that there's nothing in life other than their little proceedings and that they can put whatever conditions on it uh, that they want, I think the judges have to realize that uh, in the United States, no right is absolute. Uh, and everybody has to compromise when rights rub up against each other. So they're going to have to put up with more public commentary from Trump than they would in an ordinary case. It's just a fact because there's other constitutional considerations at, at work. Right, right. There are other constitutional considerations at work here, no question about it. And I guess as I'm thinking about all this, and you and, and Charles C.W. Cook at National Review, your colleague over there, you kind of had a little back and forth uh, about this, and that's crazy. And I, 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 explain to me the point that you were making with your, your take on this regarding Trump and, and all these indictments. Well, I wasn't really disagreeing with Charlie so much as saying that um, I think Charlie's point that we're in a crazy time um, which, by the way, the, the thing that uh, predicated that whole discussion was our editor, Phil Klein, made the, I think, uh, undeniable point that Trump really took control of the, Dem- of the Republican nomination process because of the indictments, that that really is what galvanized his support and made it very difficult for any other candidate to get traction. And Charlie's point was that that's a crazy situation that, you know, this idea that indictments could actually help somebody get nominated. And my only point in responding was to say, well, crazy, but crazy like a fox, because the Democrats knew uh, that the indictments would have exactly this effect. And they've done this on purpose. So, you know, ordinarily, you wouldn't adopt a crazy strategy on purpose because a crazy strategy might not work. This is like perversely effective, but it's exactly what they knew would happen. And I think, as I I think I've discussed with you before, Rich, I've thought all along that the strategy here is to indict him to help him get nominated. And then what they figure is that the trials and other stuff that they can put out that's going to have a lot of damaging information then come out after he's already got the nomination locked up and hurt him very badly going into the November election, because then the audience is not the Republican base, which is sympathetic to Trump. It's the broader public where he's already not nearly as popular. Yeah, and I think that that that, that gamble that they had, the problem for them is that 
maybe Americans just don't care so much about the indictments and everything when they're thinking about the economy. That story from CBS News the other day saying you need an extra $11,400 just to be at the same level of, of living you were back in uh, January of 2021. So, I mean, this is a this is a big gamble the Democrats are making here. I, I agree with you 100 percent, Andy McCarthy. They wanted him to be the nominee. They thought he was the easiest one to beat. But if the early polls are any indication, he's got significant leads in several of the key states he needs to win. And Democrats have a terrible candidate in Joe Biden. It's possible that people may just say all of this is just background noise. And as long as he's allowed to remain on the ballot, they may say the economy matters more and I was better off under him. So I guess that brings me to the question of of the ballot and the efforts by Democrats right now to try to keep him off the ballot. I know that there were some rulings that came out that said, you can't keep him off the ballot in a primary, mainly the court saying that primaries are, in fact, you know, private political party exercises, even though they're governed by um, state election laws are still private entities deciding on their own candidates. So they don't have the right to keep somebody off a primary ballot. But they were very silent on the issue of a, of a general election question of whether or not they could keep him off the ballot. Do you, do you anticipate them trying that route of saying 14th Amendment, Section three, he can't be on the ballot in our state? Yeah, I, I think the 14th Amendment Section 3 thing is completely meritless. Uh, you know, I know there's some uh, even conservative scholarship that pushes in the other direction. And I, I find it completely unpersuasive. I don't think Section 3 applies to the president and the vice president. seems to me that, you know, if you look at Section 3, it, it has an exhaustive list of who it applies to. And it even mentions electors for president and vice president, but it doesn't mention the president and the vice president, which seems to me like if if there was an intention to apply it to them, uh, obviously that would have been written in there, just like they wrote in senators and representatives and the like. So I don't think it applies anyway, but I do worry um, about the scenario that you are addressing, because so far what they've done is go to court to try to get them off the ballot. And I think in the courts, they'll reject this argument as legally meritless. What I worry about as you get down to the end toward election day is if instead of going to the court, they go to some Democratic uh, secretary of state or attorney general and try to get that politically elected Democrat on his own without going to court to strike Trump from the ballot, where it wouldn't necessarily be legal, but they would like try to, you know, procedurally tie it up at least until after Election Day uh, and just make it uh, and make it very difficult for him to be on the ballot. So I do worry about those kind of shenanigans. But if I was worried about the ballot, Rich, I'd be a lot. I, I think the thing that can really throw the election into turmoil is the third and fourth party candidates. You know, I've always been someone who said that I don't think Trump really has a chance to win in the broad electorate because I think he's too unpopular and I don't think he can hit the number that he needs to hit to win. But I think if you get a third or fourth candidate who's going to actually draw from both sides, everything I've said and everyone else has said about a two-party race kind of goes out the window. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, well said. I mean, that's that's what we're looking at here in this political season. Uh, Andy McCarthy, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Seoli Show podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the Odyssey app. You're listening to the best of the Rich Seoli Show on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 
Senator Rand Paul has been fighting the fight, and now the book is out, and you got to read it. It is one of the most important books we have uh, out there today. It's called Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. Senator Rand Paul joins me now on Talk Radio 1210. Senator, how are you? Very good, Rich. Thanks for having me. Listen, my pleasure. My pleasure. Let's talk about COVID. You've been all over this. I mean, you've been fighting Fauci since day one. Uh, he's mocked you. He's belittled you. He's insulted you in front of the Senate. And most importantly, he's lied in front of the Senate and lied in front of your committee. You know, as we explored this issue and as we looked into the cover up, we discovered that virtually everything he said in public has been a lie. But we discovered a parallel universe, which is his private email. And as a federal judge forced him to reveal more and more of his private emails, we found that everything he said, particularly about the origins of the virus, in private, in early 2020, February 1st, 2020, he's saying to his colleagues, to the other virologists, he's saying, it looks like the virus was manipulated in a lab, and we're very suspicious of this lab because we know they do gain-of-function research. Fast forward about a year later in public under oath, he's telling me absolutely, without question, unequivocally, the NIH has never funded gain-of-function research in that lab. So everything he said has been a lie about it. But it's not just him. Eight different departments of government were funding this. They're still hiding and passing the buck on this. And it's essentially a conspiracy of anybody who was associated with the funding. They're trying to hide it because they now know that there's a certain amount of culpability they have in starting this pandemic. Culpability, and they want the gain-of-function gravy train to continue, right, Senator? Because they get paid on the, on the front and the back. They get paid to create it, and they get paid to find the so-called cure for it. Yeah, at one point there's a conversation between Francis Collins, who is head of NIH, and Anthony Fauci, head of part of the NIH, and they're going back and forth, and Francis Collins sort of, uh, you know, intimates, he says, well, it just wouldn't be good for science if people thought this came from China. And I paraphrase him in the book. I, I report him accurately, then paraphrase him as, really, it wouldn't be good for the business of science. There's billions of dollars that are changing hands. People want to think these scientists, you know, really care about people. They went into science to cure cancer. Many of them probably did, but many of them are enriching themselves. Anthony Fauci's personal assets went from $7 million to $11 million during this. He was given a million-dollar prize by a nonprofit foundation. Um, he receives royalties but won't reveal the royalties. When I ask, them, ask him under oath, have you received any royalties or did any of the scientists on the vaccine committee receive royalties from Pfizer or Moderna, the manufacturers of the vaccine? He wouldn't answer and immediately tried to turn the tables and make a political argument against my probing him. But this is, you know, in all likelihood, this is the biggest cover-up or conspiracy we've had in modern times because this is a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And realize who these people are, not disinterested scientists, Peter Daszak, who ran EcoHealth, which is the organization that uh, funneled the money to China, to the lab, in order to get favor and to curry favor with people like Anthony Fauci, he would rent out the Cosmos Club, some swanky club I don't think I've ever been to in D.C., for 15, 20 grand for an hour or two for a cocktail party, and he'd invite people like Fauci to try to cozy up to them. So th this is a, a world really of scratching people's backs. It's a seamy underbelly of Washington, but it's involving the scientific community, and it's also involving research 
that's incredibly dangerous. This this virus killed 0.3 percent. That's about a million people in America. But can you imagine they're experimenting on viruses that could kill 50 percent of Americans? Well, that's what I don't understand, Senator Rand Paul. Why would you make Frankenstein's monster with the idea that, well, if he ever shows up, we know how to fight him, and then he gets out of the lab? I mean, why are we tinkering with nature in this way in the first way? I mean, we no money because they want to make money off of this. I mean, this sounds like the worst possible idea. And to do it in these unsecure bio labs around the world where you've got the Chinese Communist Party would love to weaponize this kind of thing and use it as a bioweapon. And to this day, a lot of us, you know, we were called conspirators for just thinking that it came from a lab. And we've been saying that from day one. How do we we still don't know if the Chinese government was ever planning to use this as a bioweapon. We don't know. And if if not this one, it could be the next one. It was a huge judgment error to decide, and a lot of this was decided by Bill Gates. He funds maybe 20% of all of the funding for all of these organizations, Amazing. WHO, all these organizations. He decided, along with others, that we should identify every virus on the planet. And there's, you know, millions of these viruses, but he, well, he said we should, we should isolate them and put them in a lab. So in China, there's a remote cave like eight to ten hours south of Wuhan. They go down there a couple hundred feet underground, dig through the guano, and they they find viruses. Then they take them back to a city of 11 million. So just the idea of taking a virus from a remote location where it's very unlikely to ever encounter a human and taking it back to a big city on the subway train to a big city and through the airports is is a crazy and dangerous notion, but it gets worse than that. Once they isolate an unknown virus from a bat cave from hundreds of feet underground, they say, hmm, wonder if I mix this virus with this other virus I have here with part of this other virus. Wonder if we can make it more contagious in humans or more deadly in humans. And they say, we're doing this because we think it might happen in nature. But other scientists point out that nature is random, so the chances that you're going to actually create something that comes out of nature are slim and none. And these other scientists point out that no no cure and vaccines ever been developed this way. But most people think the Chinese were trying to develop a vaccine, so they created a virus that was more lethal in humans, that gained function, and then it got out because they, in the book, we reveal the, the names of the actual scientists that are thought to be patient zero, and they all worked in that lab in Wuhan. Senator Rand Paul joins me. The book is a must-read, Deception, the Great COVID Cover-Up. This is one of the most important books of our time. It is the biggest cover-up of our time. And, of course, the entire time this was going on, you had big tech censoring people for posting about this. And this brings up a fight that you're waging right now, Senator, which is the FBI's collusion with social media. And I know you went after Christopher Ray about this. I want to play a very quick clip for you of something that Elon Musk said regarding Twitter uh, before he was the owner of Twitter and the FBI's involvement. Real quick, go ahead. The degree to which Twitter was simply um, an arm of the government was not well understood by the public. And uh, it, it was, there was no, it was whatever the official government, I mean, it was like Pravda, basically. Um, you know, it's a state publication is the way to think of old Twitter. It's a state publication. There was uh, basically oppression of um, any any views that would even, I would say, be considered middle of the road. Um, but certainly anything on the the right. I'm not talking about like like far right. I'm just talking mildly right. The people like Republicans were suppressed at 10 times the rate of Democrats. Senator Rand Paul, I mean, that that's amazing that we have the FBI working like this with big tech and the corporate media. 
the suppressed things like you going after Anthony Fauci over gain of function research and the and the lab leak. Without question, Elon Musk is right. It is true. Uh, they became an arm of the government. They essentially became the censorship arm of government. And it's it's appalling. It's an affront to the First Amendment. Imagine if you and I, after this interview, when you get off the phone with me, that the FBI comes into your office and says, we've listened to the interview and we've decided that two or three of the questions you ask and the responses are uh, not consistent with the government narrative. In other words, they're disinformation and we'd like you to remove them. We would be horrified at that. And yet we allowed it to happen with Twitter and with Facebook. For over a year, Facebook took down any story and prevent the spread of any story that alleged that the virus leaked from a lab and that's how it started. They basically suppressed it, but at the behest of government. So I have a bill that would fix this. My bill does essentially what the Missouri versus Biden case has attempted to do. It says that the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the White House, the CDC, they cannot meet with any form of media to discuss, cajole, pressure, or otherwise cause them to take down legally protected or constitutionally protected speech. And we're pushing hard on this, but the Democrats don't seem to care. The Democrats don't remember that it was the FBI in the 1960s that went after Martin Luther King, that went after Vietnam War protesters, that went after civil rights protesters. Uh, They don't remember the abuses then, and they, they seem not to care now, which is really sad because my job would be a lot easier if I could find an honest progressive who remembered that they used to be big defenders of the First Amendment. Yeah, exa- exactly right. I mean, the weaponization of this government against the American people, the intimidation tactics, and then working together to control the narrative on everything. I mean, from from the origins of COVID, as you point out in your book, Deception, the great COVID cover-up, to the vaccines and the side effects, the myocarditis, and also the, the effects of the isolation and the lockdowns. And you spent a lot of time going on about this as well, Senator. These lockdowns, were destructive. They destroyed people's lives. I think one of the the heart, most heartbreaking things about this were people who were married, you know, for 50 years and couldn't be together to say goodbye to each other because of COVID protocols. And no science, no scientific evidence that any of it stopped the spread or slowed down the spread or saved one life. Everything they did was unscientific and inhumane. The one thing they did do that spread the virus was they sent people home from the hospital who were positive and putting them in nursing homes, Governor Cuomo, and 50% of the deaths in New York were in the nursing homes. And there were doctors all along, scientists, Martin Kulldorff, Jay Bhattacharya, who were saying, target your resources, target your resources for the elderly, for the obese, for those who have medical issues, and let's try to save them. Instead, they ignored it and said, oh, everybody needs to be vaccinated, including your six-month-old child. And it frankly just was not true. To this day, they will not reveal what it means to be infected. So let's say you've got your parents are 75 years old and they've had two vaccines, but they've already had COVID twice. What does that mean? If they've had COVID twice, what are their chances if they get it again, they will die or go to the hospital? I think it's close to zero. And they should have that data, but they won't reveal it because they're too busy hawking vaccines for Pfizer and Moderna. Basically, our government has become salesmen for big pharma. Yeah, that's so well said. Well said. And, and, and the accountability and the oversight here today is an important day. Senator Rand Paul, you also have the vote on your amendment to audit the Fed. And the Fed just announced they're keeping interest rates where they are. I, I, I mean, the damage that the Federal Reserve has done and is doing 
is incalculable and it needs to be audited. Why is it so important? You know, probably no more powerful organization that it doesn't have any oversight. And, uh, you know, the other side says, oh, we want them to be independent. But really, a lot of people get rich off the federal policy, off Fed's policy. And a lot of the people who get rich are the big banks and the very wealthy in our country. And the average ordinary person who uh, lives on a fixed income or a small income gets wiped out by the inflation that the Fed causes. We did have the vote just minutes ago, and we got, uh, I think, 44 Republicans uh, were yeses, three Republicans were noes, and then we picked up two uh, Democrats who voted with us. So I think the total was we had about 46, 47 uh, for it, and 53-something like that, 49, 50 against it. Why, why are there so many people who are worried about the truth coming out? This is very parallel to COVID and very, very, very much like the FBI controlling information. Why is there so much fear among our elected representatives to, to get to the truth here about what the Fed is doing? It's, it's sort of tribalism. They're in their tribe, and they don't uh, read anything from the other side. They have no idea. And the one person I would suggest they read who's been really good on the Fed is Matt Taibbi. He's a lifelong Democrat, but an honest uh, Democrat, honest, honest progressive, who's cut through the chase on the Twitter files. But he's also done it on the Fed and written some remarkable, remarkable articles on the Fed and really how it really is the rich get richer, and it's really a lot of it organized and accentuated by the Fed. The rich get richer when it comes to viruses and pandemics. And the last thing I want to ask you, Senator Rand Paul, in, in your book, Deception, The Great COVID Cover-Up, you talk about how we can have accountability for these people. There's a lot of people out there wondering today, is anybody going to pay for this? Is anyone going to pay for what they've done to the world and what they've done to society and to our freedom and our liberty and uh, or are they just going to get away with it and, 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 and take their giant bank accounts and, and run? If I had my way, Anthony Fauci would already be wearing pinstripes. I've referred him twice to the Department of Justice. I've sent along the information. The proof of his lying under oath, which is a felony, are in his own words. We have his own emails that have been revealed by court order. And his own emails contradict everything he was saying in public and show that he was lying in the hearing. Um, but what more can you do? Merrick Garland may be the most partisan attorney general we've ever had. He still smarts because he didn't get onto the Supreme Court and Republicans blocked him. But the bottom line is I don't have the ability to prosecute people. It takes the Department of Justice to do it. I will say this. Two years ago, uh, 10% of the people and 10% of the media and 10% of the public thought that the virus might have come from the lab. It's 50-50 or better now. And in fact, I think slowly but surely, even though the Democrats are quiet on this, they're slowly acknowledging that they, they, they're starting to realize, too, that it came from this lab. Ultimately, I'm going to win the argument. The book's going to help win the argument. But then ultimately, I want to pass legislation that puts more restrictions on taxpayer financing of this type of research. I want a committee that can look at all the research, classified and unclassified, and make a judgment. You know, we need to have a real discussion whether or not taking something like Ebola, which kills 50% of the people, and saying, hey, guys, why don't we see if we can make it aerosolized? And, well, wouldn't it be great to mix it with this virus and see if we can make it more deadly? So that kind of stuff's got to stop. But it's going to take Democrats finally coming around because I can't do it with just Republicans. I'm going to need some Democrats to wake up and say, this is really dangerous. This is really bad. And, you know, we should never let this happen again. Yeah, well said. Well, this book is uh, going to go a long way towards doing that. And I, I encourage everyone to get a copy right now. Deception, the great COVID cover up. Dr. Senator Rand Paul, it's been an honor. Thanks for having thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. 
This is the best of the Rich Zioli Show. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Rich Zioli, weekday afternoons 3 to 7. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. And on the free Odyssey app. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.